0: Today's reading is Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. King's Quest, you're now dismissed.
1: Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. I didn't realize I was gone so long that I needed to be introduced. (laughs) Thank you, Daniel, for your kind words. (laughs) And it it, it is good to be here. It's been a a long time since I've been up here actually uh, bringing the Word of God to you. But it is real honor and privilege to do this. So let's uh, go to God and let's pray together. Let's pray. Father... We acknowledge that you are in this room right now. We know that you are a sovereign God and you know exactly where every one of us are at as we sit here this morning. And Father, I just ask that as we bring your word to bear upon our lives, that Lord, you would give us a heart to not only hear what it is you want to say to us individually, but a heart uh, to obey what it is you want to say. I pray for this congregation. I just pray, Father, that you will bless us together. and We look forward, Father, to what you are going to do today and what you will be doing through this congregation in the days and weeks and months and years ahead. And so we commit this time to you now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, as Daniel said, we are in a series in the book of Philippians. And we just had the the scriptures read to us, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. But I want to go back to uh, Acts chapter 16. This is where we have the historical uh, story of how this church came into being. And we find uh, the Apostle Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, Come over here and help us. And Paul was obedient to that vision, and he went over to uh, the city of Philippi, which was the largest city in Macedonia at that time. And as was his custom, he went down to the river on the Sabbath to pray. And there were some women there, and a lady named uh, Lydia. And it says God opened her heart to believe, and she was baptized. Baptized. And then as Paul's normal custom, he went and got himself in trouble and he ended up getting beaten and thrown into prison. And the story goes and tells us that at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns and worshiping God. And there was a great earthquake so that all the prison doors were open and the jailer came out and saw that and he was ready to kill himself and Paul yells out, wait, stop, don't do that. We're all here. And that jailer asks this question in Acts 16, verse 30. What must I do to be saved? Isn't that an interesting question? What must I do to be saved? Now, <clears throat> I think if all other religions of the world, they would have been given he would have been given a works righteousness answer. That if you want to get to heaven, you want to be saved, you've got to do all these things. You've got to work your way up to heaven. But Paul, in Acts 16, 31, gives this simple answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and your house. And we know that the story goes on to tell us that this, this jailer believed, and his family, and they were baptized that very night. Now, I'm sure Paul gave some background to what he was to believe in. I'm sure he told them about the, the love of Jesus, that he came as Israel's Messiah and the world's true king, and that he was rejected by Israel, and that he was crucified, and his blood was shed on that cross, but that he rose from the dead, and he's alive today, and that jailer believed. And we will see him someday in heaven. Well, turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2, the passage that was read to us. Some of you have a Bible. I'm one of those ones that still love to carry my Bible to church on Sunday morning. But you may have your telephone or your, your tablet. And I invite you to turn to this passage. And you know, we need to be people of this book. This book is... The food for our soul. This is how we grow in our faith, is by taking time to read the Bible. And I believe we need to do it on a daily basis. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This is how we grow in our faith, is by reading this book. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Job in Job 23:12 says, "Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food." Job says, "I would rather read the word of God in the morning than eat my breakfast." I love Jeremiah 15:60. He says, "Thy words are found and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Oh my friends, we need to be people who love this book with all of our heart and who spend time in it on a daily basis. So we read in Philippians 2, you know, Paul starts this church and he writes this letter of, to the church at Philippi. And I'm sure he wrote it as a way of encouragement for them, but he was looking for a mutual encouragement. And so he says, So therefore, if any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affliction and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and in one mind. As I read those verses, I think Paul is saying we need to be unified together as a church, having the same love, having the same mind. And I think we need to hear that As a church here at Grace, you know, Pastor Lou sent out a letter this week and, you know, he has arranged to have some meetings next week and the week after during the second hour. We all need to be there. He wants to come. He's been on sabbatical for five months and he wants to come and just share his heart of of what God has been doing in his life. But he also wants to hear from us what God has, has been speaking to us over these months. And my prayer is that we would fulfill these verses of Philippians chapter 2, that we would be of the same mind, of the same love, of the same heart, that we are unified together. It makes me think of John chapter 17 and Jesus' high priestly prayer, where he prays and he says, I don't pray for just these men, these 11 men in the upper room with him. But I pray for those who will believe on me through their words. And that's us. We sit here today, 2,000 plus years later, and we believe on Jesus because of the words that were recorded by these disciples that we can read about the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, And Jesus says that I want them to be one as we are one. I and you, Father, and you and me, that we would be one together, that the world may know that you sent me. And it's my prayer that... As we move forward in the days ahead, we have such unity and oneness of love for each other, of singleness of mind together, that the world would know. As people come in into this congregation, they would say, Wow, there's something special about Grace Brethren Church of Long Beach. And I believe we have that now. But that it would be more beautifully magnified that we are unified, we are one, we have the same mind, and same love for Jesus together as we move forward. And then Paul goes on in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. He says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each of you esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man at his own things, but every man also on the things of others. To have unity and oneness, we need to put other people before ourselves. And that's what Paul is saying here. Look not on your own things, but look on the things of others. Put them first. I use these verses so many times in counseling, particularly premarital counseling. You get these young couples come in and they are Twitter painted. And, you know, they're looking forward to this marriage. And I would say, do you want to really have a great marriage? Put Christ at the center of your marriage. And then take these verses and live them out. Live out the verse where you are looking and putting your wife ahead of yourself, where you are putting your husband ahead of yourself. But it's for all of us in relationships, single people, young adults. We put others before ourselves. And that's what Paul is telling us here. But then we come to verse 5 through 7. And Paul says, look at these verses together. He says, "Let let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. First, I want to see, want you to see in these verses the humanity of Christ and then the humility of Christ. The humanity of Christ is that he stepped down. The humility of Christ is how far he stepped down. We begin to see the wonder of the humanity of Christ when we see that he truly was in the form of God from all of eternity. Amazing, for all of eternity. Philip, in his paraphrase of this verse, in verse 6, he says, For he who had always been God by nature did not cling to his prerogative as God's equal. Now, when we probe that a little bit deeper, we see the wondrous fact that he was in the form of God. So when you look at his, his uh, miraculous resurrection, and we go back further from there, his atoning death, and you go back to his amazing life and his unusual birth, before all of that, Jesus was God i like to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, and verse 26, where it says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And we have to ask the question, who's talking there? Who's saying, let us make man in our image? Well, that's the Trinity. We sang about that this morning. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They were together, creating this universe, creating the first human being, Adam. They said, let us make man after our image. John one tells us that Jesus was there. Everything was made by Him. There was nothing that was made that wasn't made from Jesus. He was in the form of God inwardly, and He was in the form of God acting outwardly. You know, I uh, the last couple of years have taken up golf, and I'm not very good at it fact, when I come home, Pat doesn't say, how did you do? She says, did you have fun? <laughs> and I always play with some friends, and so I say, yeah, I did. I had a great time. But you know, you, you watch golf on television, and you see some of these professional golfers, and they make these phenomenal shots. And we watch that, and we say, wow, he was in good form today, wasn't he? I think what that means is that he was playing just like he had the ability to play. He acted outwardly according to his essential self. He's in form. Our Lord Jesus Christ was in form during all of eternity past, being what he was, God's eternal son. You Get that view right, my friends. When you understand that Jesus was God eternal, then when you see his his birth and his miracles and his life and death and, and resurrection and ascension and even his second coming, it all is compatible. It all fits together. He was who he is at all times. But the astonishing thing is this. Look at verse 7 with me. It says, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming In the likeness of men. Now, the word form is there again. Notice that he was in the form of God and he is in the form of a servant. In other words, Jesus did not disguise himself when he came as a servant to earth. He again was was being outwardly what he actually was inwardly. God's Son eternally has a servant's heart. He was in the form of God. He was in the form of a servant, and he acted out of his glorious divinity here on earth. He came to act this out in visibility for us all to see. He is, through all eternity, a caring God. He is, through all of eternity, one who reaches out and puts his arm around us and says, How can I help you? What can I do to help you? He was in good form as a servant. And I believe he's he's doing that today. My friends, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're struggling with in your life. But I want you to know that Jesus cares about you. That he puts his arm around you right now. And he says, What can I do to help you? I think this may be heresy, but I think that what may happen in, in heaven, that someday while we're in heaven, that Jesus may walk up to us in heaven and put his arm around us and, and say, What can I do to, to help you? you now, if you look at John chapter 13, it's a very familiar verse to us here at this church because we have our Monday, Thursday service where we practice a threefold communion. And Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and it says in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from the Father, he knew his glorious past with the Father. But he did something that still fit it right into his eternal and essential character. It says he rose from supper, he laid aside his garments He girded himself with the towel. He got a basin and put some water in it. And he got down and he washed his disciples' feet. Here is Christ in his eternal walk doing exactly what his essential heart told him to do. This is our loving Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, my friends, let this get to you. This is the way God is. This is why Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus has an eternal servant heart and we need to be servant people. We need to be servant people in our homes. Husbands, how do you serve your wives? And wives, your husbands. And you teenagers, you young adults, you high schoolers. You need to be servants. You know, you're not in that home so your mom and dad can serve you and make your bed. Really? Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ. He had a servant's heart. And we ought to have the same. We ought to say, mom and dad, how can I help you? What can I do to serve you? We need to be that here at Grace. Grace. We need to look for ways to serve each other. I, I believe that if Jesus Christ was a, a member of this church, that he would not show up late. He would be here early. And he would look for ways to serve. He would go up to Tim Flaming and say, Tim, do you have enough greeters this morning? If not, how can I, how can I help? You know, pass out bulletins and greet people. How can I help on the worship team or the, the prayer team or the, the uh, children's ministry? We would look for ways. Jesus would do that. And I think that's what we need to be. Dear friends, when Jesus came from heaven, he was naturally fitted into his servant work. He washed his disciples' feet. He gave himself away. He cared. That was his heart from all of eternity. That's the kind of Jesus we have. And I believe it causes all of heaven to adore him. And to fix on him for eternity. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. To receive all praise and honor and glory and majesty and dominion and power. This is who Jesus is. The lamb of God. He is God almighty and he is utterly loving. He is utterly kind. Someone wrote this. Lord, I'm amazed at your heavenly son. You gave him honor when the world began. You sat him in glory at the mercy seat and he got right down and washed his disciples' feet. Think of it, Lord. You gave him seas and sands and there he is with the towel in his hands. Think of it, Lord. You gave him sands and seas and there he is, down on his knees. That's our Savior. Now, inwardly, Jesus has never changed character and he never will. But outwardly, when Jesus was incarnate in the flesh, he became what he had never been before. There was added to his deity humanity. And that's why we read in Philippians 2 8 being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, he became obedient being suddenly found in fashion or in dress or in clothing of flesh and blood. He became humanity in a very strong way. He was God and yet he was man. I think that's why Paul says great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. That's the mystery. How could that be? And yet he became human, for you and for me. He was both God and man. Now the Greeks, the Greeks had all kinds of gods and they had a God of half horse and half man, which is a monstrosity, He was ugly. But this is not we ha- what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, God's Son was so gloriously beautiful in His incarnation. You read the Gospels and there's this normal flow of His life his normal development, his loving people. Do you want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. You want to know what man is like or what man was intended to be like? You look at Jesus. But in becoming man, he humbled himself. He emptied himself. Now, he never lost his divine power. He simply refused to to use them. He placed his divine power and authority under the authority of the Father. I I think of that as we read in in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus, it says, he was praying so intently that his sweat was like drops of blood. And he cries out and says, Father, if, if, if you can, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus did what none of the rest of us could do. He lived out the will of God in obedience to the Father. What a dramatic act. Christ coming down and limiting himself. Heaven, heaven must have gasped when they saw that. That's why we have this. Uh, verses in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. It says... it says in verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, that's us, all have one origin. And then it says this, that is why he is not ashamed to call us brothers. Jesus Christ puts his arms around you right now. And he says, you are my brother. You are my sister. And I love you. It's almost embarrassing to say. Now, notice the humility of Christ. How far he stepped down. Philippians says that he humbled himself. You know, we have the term virgin birth, but it really was a virgin conception that he had a, a natural birth, just like you and me, except we don't have angels singing glory to God in the highest. But he had a natural birth. He had a natural uh, life growing up. His brothers who grew up with him didn't recognize him as being the Son of God. They didn't believe on him until after the resurrection. Jesus was very normal. Here a, a few months ago, some of us here at Grace uh, took a tour down in downtown Los Angeles to the Catholic Cathedral of Our, of our Angels. And if you haven't done that, it's a tremendous uh, uh, place to visit. And we had a great guide who gave us the history of this. And he took us to a statue. Uh, It showed, and and basically what it was, is portraying Joseph in the carpenter shop with the little boy, Jesus. And they were making uh, something together. And he said, this is my favorite statue. And, And I saw this quote from a man named Paul Reeves. He said, look at him, this amazing Jesus he is helping Joseph make a yoke in that little carpenter' shop. This is the one who, apart from his self-emptying, could far more easily make a solar system or a galaxy of systems. But he was found in fashion as a man, that word "fashion. You know, fashions change. We used to wear suits to church, and you have wide lapels and narrow lapels and wide towel ties and narrow ties. And, and fashions still change. They're changing all the time. But Jesus came to take on all the changing moods and the hurts and all the things that you and I go through. He came to take part in the, the bodily life that has with its joys and sorrows that are inescapable that each one of us experience. And I want you to know that, my friends. Jesus knows exactly where each one of you are at right now. He knows what you're struggling with. Some of you may be struggling with addictions. Some of you may be struggling with grief. Some of you may be struggling with other sins. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus went through those things. He knows what you're going through. And He cares for you. He knows what it's like To be in poverty. The Bible says that the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. And then he went on to endure suffering. And then death. We may ask, how could that be? How could God die? You know, if Jesus was only a man, then his death meant nothing. But Jesus was God-man. And his death, my friends, meant everything to us. When his blood was shed... That blood was how God purchased us back to Himself and gave us forgiveness of sins. Ephesians one seven says, "In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins." Jesus gave everything. He gave His life, and He did it for you and for me, my friends. And He did it voluntarily. He didn't have to. It says in John chapter ten verse seventeen and eighteen, "I lay down My life that I may take it up again." No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father amazing the humility, which is beautifully seen in this perfect God man. Oh, well, listen, Jesus, it says this about Jesus. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, and then it has this phrase in it, even. Death on a cross. Only slaves and the worst of criminals were put on a cross. And Jesus went there for you and for me, my friends. He loves us that much. He entered fully into this. The word cross comes from the Latin word crux. We get the word excruciating from it. What Jesus went through was excruciating. But he did it because of us. Because he loves us so dearly. Oh my friends, I call you to the cross. I call you to Jesus. Give your life to him. Let this mind be in you. Which was in Christ. He came to serve. He said of himself... So the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. That's our Savior. That's who Jesus is. Let that affect you. Let it change your heart and mind to have a heart like Jesus. Well, let me close our passage. I've got to finish this passage. It says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? Jesus is Lord. He did all this for us but now he is lifted up Every knee, every president who ever lived, every king and queen, every dictator, the richest man in the world to the poorest man in the gutter, every knee will bow someday. Every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive all praise and honor and glory. Praise God. Let's let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his willingness to to come to earth, to take on humanity. Thank you for his obedient life. Thank you for his willingness to humble himself even to the point of death on a cross. Thank you, Lord, that you highly exalted him. And we declare Jesus is Lord. And we give glory to you for that, Lord. And, and so I do pray. I pray for this congregation again, God, that, you're, that you would touch our hearts in such a way that we would have this mind that is in Christ and that we would, would be people who have a servant's heart to serve each other here at Grace, to serve wherever we go, in our homes, in our places of employment, in our schools, wherever we are, Lord that you would change our heart to be like Jesus in every way. And I pray this in
0: Jesus' precious name. Amen.